write this down, the value of the property equals net operating income divided by cap rate. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of Get Your Fill, Financial Independence and Long Life, where we explore ways to achieve those two goals. And we invite people on who are just so rocking that exact scenario. So that is why I'm very excited to have Flint Jamison with us today. Flint, which you might even believe because he looks very young. I think he looks like a teenager, but I don't know if, he, if that's. <laughs> I do He's have a 20 baby years face. in aerospace. <laughs> Sorry. I, I said, I do have a baby face, but I'm not that young. <laughs> when I was young, people said, you'll be glad when because I did have a baby face. And I think I still, I don't think I look 58. I think I still have a little bit of a baby face, but um, people say, you'll be so glad when you're 70 that you have this youthful appearance. <laughs> I said, okay, sure. Uh, so Flynn spent 20 years in aerospace as an engineer and program manager. And now he said, hey, that's enough of that. He's finding a path to early retirement through commercial real estate investments. Uh, Flint started his real estate endeavor with a duplex, one little duplex, something that you could do. Um, then he rehabbed it in 2018. And from there, he just like just pivoted into multifamily syndication, which we're going to really delve into because I know that like that sounds like a word that sounds like the mafia. So <laughs> syndication can be good. Um, and, and there's so much better ability, you know, to to make great returns. And there's a lot more stability. And his portfolio, are you ready for this? So 2018, he had a two family and now his portfolio is currently 1400 units. What? Flint, thanks so much for being with us today. I am psyched that you're going to like unfold this so that we can all do it too by the end of the week. <laughs> yeah. So I want to hit back on what you just said. So it's funny as you talk about syndication sounds like this, <laughs> this big, scary word. Also financial freedom, I've noticed to some people, and I think you probably say it a lot. Some people are like, oh, that sounds like a pyramid scheme. Yeah. But in reality, it's just you're financially free. Your passive income exceeds your 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 expenses. Your outflow, so exactly. Financially free. <laughs> um, syndication, to simplify it, it's it simply means a group of individuals pool their resources in order to achieve something larger than any individual can do by themselves. Exactly. So, so you could do a two family and then two people could do a four family. And then, right. I mean, it just like yeah. to make it really simple. I mean, it's like, you could go buy a million dollar apartment complex. So at this point, that would be like six units, but um, <laughs> not here. It'd only be two if, if you're lucky. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, you could, you may not be able to afford that on your own, but you and three of your friends might be able to put the down payment on that. And that's technically a syndication. Yeah. And where we take this much further is we go buy $20 million dollars worth of apartment complex or $50 million worth of three apartment complexes. So, um, yeah, it's, a it's really exciting going from that duplex to where I am now. And the reason I did that is because when I bird that duplex, have you guys talked about Burr? Yeah. Strategy? I'm not, not for a long time though. So why don't you just okay. go over the whole meaning yeah. of it? Yeah. It's, it's, it's by rehab, rent, rent, refinance, and repeat. It's essentially flipping, but you hold it. So you buy something that's distressed or wholesale. Like I bought that duplex for $80,000 and uh, put 30,000 into it and then 
I rented it and then I did a cash out refi and um, pocketed some money and then I held on to it for three years and I sold it three months ago. So good time good. to sell. Yeah. But the reason why I, I never moved on from there because I realized my, my original intent was to just buy a whole bunch of single family homes or duplexes, quadplexes, and then it, eventually having enough passive income to get out of my day job. Well, I realized after doing that single burr on that duplex, then I would need to do 50 more units before I could even consider retiring. And that would be a, a considerable pay cut to where I was. So it was just where, where I was accepting of the passive income. That was a lot of work and a lot of capital, a ton of effort. And I was like, well, it's going to take me 25 more years to get there. That's <laughs> that, not really that early of retirement I mean, at that point. <laughs> I mean, technically you can, you can scale faster, but sometimes it depends on the economy and the success of your burrs and all that. Right. And there's a lot of factors in it. Yeah. So I, I happened across a podcast from a big syndicator and uh, I was sold after that and it totally pivoted. A lot of people, what a lot of people do is they'll do single family homes and they're like, oh, well, how do I make more money? I'll flip. And then I start flipping. Well, that's a lot of work. Well, maybe you can go wholesale. Well, that's still a lot of work. And then eventually it seems like the path ends at syndication. So a lot of us syndicators have been, we all started at the single family level. And then our, our journeys take different paths, but we all end up with syndicators. Yeah. The thing that I think people forget this like flip idea. I mean, never mind that there's a lot of work, even if you don't do the work, the, the, people forget about taxes, right? Yeah. This is a short term gain. I mean, I don't want to go down this rabbit hole, but I just think people just don't re realize that that's this income now and they're going to have to pay taxes on it. So that 10 grand yeah. you make is now like 55,000. It's just like totally not worth it. So yeah, hitting on that point, as a flipper, it's considered earned income, just yeah. like your W-2 job, you're, and it's technically the maximum tax you will pay because it's a, not a long-term thing. Yeah. Um, where we as long-term holders, it's a, um, it becomes a capital gain in the end and when you go sell or your, your rents are, are taxed differently than, than your active income. And, it, and if you sell, you don't even have to take tax because you can do a 1031 exchange. Yeah. Or there's <laughs> another strategy. Uh, in the syndication world, it gets really hard to do 1031. That's a rabbit hole that <laughs> we, <laughs> we don't, don't need to go down. Go down. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Tenant in common, it gets really complicated. Um, but in general, syndicators typically don't do 1031s. But where we do leverage it is um, we will. So we'll get into what we do here in a second. But just to stay on this topic. When we sell an apartment complex, everyone gets this huge capital gain, huge profit. And what a lot of people do, because you will get taxed on that, they will immediately turn around and invest in the next deal. With commercial real estate, the tax benefits, this year alone, 100% accelerated depreciation in the first year for commercial real estate. To, to compare that with your single family home, you depreciate over 27 and a half years. So the value of your home divided by 27 and a half, and that's what you take as a loss on the IRS side. With commercial real estate, 100% in one year. So there's a huge advantage. And if you can't take advantage of it, like the depreciation and the loss is so big, um, it'll carry over year over year until you burn that down. 
So this is the the big like the big reveal is that all the people who are making these rules, they all own real estate. <laughs> yes. That is that is so very guess true. What? <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, you gotta play the game that's that's dealt, right? And the people yeah, the yeah. lawmakers own real estate and it and it benefits them. The other thing though, the reason they they make it advantageous on the commercial real estate side is because you're helping the economy, whatever commercial real estate asset it is, you could be doing industrial, you could be doing retail, right? It is a economy building thing, building apartment complexes, you're bringing a ton of people in. So they do want to give it some tax advantage. And so this year alone, it's a hundred percent depreciation next year, it'll be 80% depreciation in the first year. And then it'll be 60, 40. And then at some point the, the, the tax law will change again and probably crank it back up. <laughs> but yeah, because they, they're trying to stimulate the economy, right? There's all these empty yeah. places because of COVID, all, lots of people went out of business and not, they don't want these places to sit. So here you go. Here's a carrot, you know? Yeah. <laughs> awesome. So tell me how you like first, did you climb into someone else's syndicate or did you start your own? Um, it is a team sport through and through very, I think I've heard of one person that's done their own, but when it takes the effort it takes to find an apartment complex, underwrite it, do the due diligence inspections, earnest money down, you can imagine for a million plus how much earnest money, um, and then asset managing, capital raising, it all takes a team. So typically what we do is we'll partner up with each other, whether it's partner up and form one entity or like me as Vestas Capital. I'm still at Vestas Capital, that's just my thing, but I go off and I partner with a whole bunch of very experienced operators. I develop a relationship over a year with these guys. I, I will only bring my investors to operators that I trust and that I have met because the investors are the most important thing. So you have your investors, but then you bring them to a place where they're the ones that are finding the, the opportunities. Yeah. So these operators, uh, really, I, I help out as well. Like I do some asset management. So I capital raise and I do some asset management. I've done, actually, I'm doing some underwriting now with another group of people, right? So there's a lot of partnerships involved. Um, but yes, we all kind of have our own database of investors and we all love to to bring people to deals starts off with friends and family when you're, when you're a newbie and then it, it starts exploding from there. Cause this is something that I don't think people understand, right? When you're sitting there and you you're in a place where you don't have a lot, right? This mindset of lack or not, an, you know, not quite enough to that. You have no idea how many people that you probably already know who have a shit ton of money that are looking to for good places to invest it. Right. I mean, was that a surprise yeah. to you? Uh, I think because I walked down that road originally, I became a passive investor. Actually, a lot of us who are active general partners are passive investors too. That's the holy grail. If I could be hundred percent passive and not have to do any work, right? That's, that's the goal. <laughs> but, um, we realize in going down this path that there is even money that we have, you don't have to invest out of your savings account. You can invest your your old 401k from a previous company you convert that to a solo 401k or eqrp and you can it's basically checkbook control and you invest in alternative assets you can do the same thing with self-directed iras so if you have an ira turn it into self-directed 
uh, a lot of people have money parked somewhere. They just don't realize how they can tap into it and utilize it. There's also a HELOC in your home. I love the equity in your home. So if you have equity in your home and you aren't doing anything with it, there's no ROI. It doesn't mean anything unless you're planning on selling your home and buying another home, right? If you plan on sitting on the equity in your home, you put it to work. Yeah. I, mean, I have like a 4% interest on a HELOC right now and I'm getting 15% returns when I invest it. So it's, it's either debt equity or put it to work and make it make more money for you. And that's, you know, this is something that a lot of people also don't realize they have, there's this thing that's like, oh, you know, like my house is paid off. Yay. But okay. And then what, right? That is just yeah. wasted. It's money that's wasted. It's, it's like, it's like putting it under your mattress, right? It's, yeah. Just, yeah. you know, it, okay, good. I'm glad we touched on that. <laughs> So I, I hit that a lot. I leveraged my HELOC a lot. I bought the duplex with my HELOC and then I ended up turning around paying it off and then I turn around buying something else with it. So, uh, and the, the benefit with a HELOC is it's money in your pocket now versus your retirement accounts. You still have to keep it isolated and you still can't touch it until you reach that magic age of 59 and a half. Yeah. So, um, I am a huge proponent of putting your money to work now because you can retire when you're 45 or 50 or 55. You don't have to wait till that magic date that the government defined <laughs> is your retirement date. Yeah, exactly. And that the, the uh, social security date keeps getting pushed up. Now you have to. Yeah, what is that? Five, That's 65. Like <laughs> <laughs> well, this is the other scary part. So, okay, I've been talking a lot about personal finances lately and really diving into those retirement accounts. So, those retirement accounts, IRAs, 401ks, the rules are written by the government and similar to social security. If they think that the workforce or what they need to keep money in the institutions longer, they can change that 59 and a half to 62 or 63. And for those younger individuals out there, you're cranking money in there, right? I did it. You probably did it. Uh, just think about in 30 years from now, that date could change. And you are socking money away that you won't be able to touch until the government let, lets you. So I can, we could go on a rabbit trail about how investing <laughs> in 401s is probably not the most beneficial thing, as long as you are very smart with investing that money if you don't put it in a 401. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Let's not go down the hole because we could get started on, you know, how people don't even know what they're invested in in their 401ks. They have no clue what's uh, happening in there. Like, yes. To be honest, just to drop this nugget for people, the company match doesn't result in that much uh, value in the long run. There is math out there. Um, I just want to plant that seed. Go do the research on your own. Because I, I did that research for almost three months, and then I finally figured it out. And I said, what have I been doing? And I immediately shut off my 401. So... But so back good. to syndications. So have, yeah, lots of things to think about now, lots of research to do. Okay, so Flint, tell me, like, tell us all so we totally understand the difference between what, you know, you're in a syndicate that's passive versus, a, you know, you're doing the same basic thing, but it's active. So what, yeah. what, what kind of activities? So let me, yeah, let's just break down what we do in general. Yeah. Um, for a multifamily a apartment complex, we, the business plan we build around it is to flip it. And I'm going to compare this to single family home because that's what everybody understands. Yep. So 
we essentially flip an apartment building, but it takes us five years to do it. So on a hundred unit apartment complex, we will shut down five units or uh, 10 units at a time, roughly because economies of scale bring in a, a contractor and they will renovate 10 units at a time while we keep 90% of the other units occupied. So we're still cash flowing. So you as an investor who actually owns equity in the property as if you, you own it, uh, you will get cash flow throughout those five years. And when we renovate those units, we crank the rents when we finish bump the revenue. And at the end, it's just like a house flip. You've taken this, this older house and made it new. And now the value of that house is much higher. We do the exact same thing. However, the exciting part about uh, commercial real estate is it's valued not based on comparables. Like what did your neighbor sell their house for? That's my house is worth this much. Commercial real estate is a revenue generating machine Thus, the value of the property is, is based on the revenue, the net operating income of that property. Right. So what, what Flynn is saying is um, when you increase the amount of rent that you're getting, which you just did by fixing up all the, all the units, now you're getting probably a great percentage higher. So now you've, you've, there's like a multiplier that adds to the value of the property. So, you know, yeah. you fix up your house, you put a new kitchen in, you know, yeah, great. Maybe now you've added a fraction of the price that it took you to do to make that new kitchen. But when you're talking about commercial real estate and commercial real estate is more than four units. So yeah. you might think commercial unit has to be like a store, but it doesn't. It, a commercial is just five or more units. And then you take that property and you're getting more cash flow, then it becomes a multiplier. So you might take a property that you got for a million dollars and put, give me some numbers, Flint, just like. So, uh, yeah, I was just thinking about this. I'm going to pull out my calculator really quick because <laughs> math, public math is very hard, but <laughs> this is a very simple equation. If you guys have a piece of paper in front of you, write this down. The value of the property equals net operating income divided by cap rate. Now we can go into cap rate here in a second, but it's a percentage. Uh, so typically if I were to add $1 of net operating income, that is revenue minus expenses. And I divide that by say a four and a half cap rate. I just added $22 value with $1 of income. So to put it simply cap rate is I call it, it's kind of like a normalizer for, it depends, like in Denver where I live, Denver's cap rate is probably three and a half to 4% or something. And as Denver grows and becomes a, a, a bigger, more booming economy, that cap rate actually gets smaller and smaller. So if you do the math and that simple equation, as wherever you buy, if that economy is booming over that five years, that cap rate gets smaller and then it just skyrockets your, your value that you put in. So and that scenario, $1 equated to $22 of value. So if you put that in the millions term, investors are very happy. And that's how <laughs> we build our business strategy around doubling your money in five years. And you can see how that can easily happen. It's not like a pyramid scheme, right? It's not some Ponzi scheme. It's right. true. And because of this multiplier, so ROI, I mean, uh, or net operating income and, and cap yep. rate, these are all things that people like cap rate, especially is it's what, what Flint was saying, it's a normalizer. So if you're thinking of investing in 
one property over here and one property over here. And they're all completely different business models. You know, one's a mall and one's a multi-unit apartment building. You can use that cap rate to compare apples and oranges and pears and all other fruit, you know, all, all in there. Yeah. Together. And every market has a different cap rate, like smaller towns might have a 6% cap rate. So. Well, and it, and it has to do with the risk as well. So if I'm going to buy something in a neighborhood that's not as good and has higher vacancies, I want to get a bigger cap rate than if I'm going right downtown and there's like no chance I'm ever going to have an empty unit. Right. Yeah. So typically what we do is we underwrite when we find an apartment, we will underwrite the whole, the whole deal for the five-year plan. Like how much renovation we'll go in and do the due diligence and inspections. We and this is like your single family home. You pay an inspector to go in there and review. We, so like on a hundred or 300 units, <laughs> you could have a team of inspectors going through every single unit marking in their little iPads. Here's, here's what needs to be fixed. And we'll cost that out. And then we will legitimately say, well, we need $1.5 million to renovate this place. We're going to renovate it over the next 24 months, et cetera. And then we put this pro forma together with rent increases and whatnot. And, and we put a super conservative underwriting together. And the target is a 15% average return year over year or double your money. However you want to look at the number. But when it's doubling your money, you're actually doubling the total, right? I mean, you're, you're, are you doubling your actual money or are you doubling the value of everything? You're doubling your actual money. So if okay. you invest $100,000 in that five years, you will walk back out with 200. I mean, that's that's your $100,000 back plus an additional 100K. Yeah, right. So that's, I was just asking because sometimes like when I do my, you know, my, my little personal like house flips for myself, like the same thing. I go and I live there for a couple of years while I'm fixing it up. And then I want to, if I bought it for a hundred thousand and I put 50 in, I want to walk away with 300,000, even though I bought the house for a hundred thousand, but I didn't put a hundred thousand down. Right. So that, that's what I meant by that. Is it like, Oh yeah. So the other thing we do buy, it's similar to a home. When we buy an apartment complex, we go get lending of 70 to 80% of the loan to value, just like you do with your house. And then, but when you're buying a $20 million apartment complex, that, you know, we still have to put that 20 to 30% down and that is a ton of money. And that's where the limited partners come in who are the investors. So they bring the money. We do all the the sweat equity. I mean, we, we bring money too, because we love making money. (laughs) (laughs) And who doesn't? And then, then, yeah. And, And we have skin in the game when we bring money to it. Yeah. And investors like to see that. Yeah. Yeah. And then the equity split. So we all come in with ownership. We give 70 to 80% of the equity to the the investors. And then us general partners take that 20 to 30 and then it's all deal dependent. Have there been any, what, what's, what, is there like a a situation or a transaction or something that really like surprised you in some way? Uh, <laughs> I think every transaction is unique, <laughs> especially like right now with the the economy doing its thing. You know, stock market's plummeting. We're we're in this re- recession. Uh, interest rates are climbing. This is where we have to. We are always constantly changing our strategy in order to find a deal that will shake out and pencil and still get you your fifteen percent return. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, so this current fund that we are closing on soon, it's total of 792 units, three different properties, three different states. It's one investment and you get three different properties. And all three of those properties are different asset types and different business models. It's really cool. Yeah. Um, but when we started the raise back in May and the stock market started plummeting, investors started freaking out, right? 2008 is very fresh in our minds. Oh, so yeah. 2008 was a very real estate heavy hit. However, so uh, it's, it's on us as general partners and capital raisers to educate the world that we are not in a 2008 scenario. Real estate right now, all my investments, all the now it's fourteen hundred or fifteen, whatever it is, it those are all doing phenomenally well. Um, because the difference between two thousand eight, there was an oversupply of homes, and banks were getting very liberal with their their lending. In this scenario, neither of those two things are happening. So we keep talking about: is there a bubble? Is there a bubble? Well it's probably not going to be a bubble because the housing supply is so far behind the demand yeah. that even single family homes, if there is a quote unquote bubble, it's going to be a softening as in it'll shift a little bit more towards the buyer's market, but because the demand is so outpaced on supply, I, I don't think there's going to be much of a dip. It'll be more um, even keel between seller and buyer and then it's going to skyrocket back up again so uh and then commercial property kind of follows a different trend we have multifamily. when people can't afford a house where do they go <laughs> right into Interest an apartment rates are up oops i better go back yeah. to my renter right <laughs> so we're in renter. a very it's it's a very interesting thing as the economy gets better people start moving out of apartments but there's always lower income people that or i mean homeless people maybe even move into those class C apartments, right? There's class A, B, and C, A being the best, B, middle, and C is the, the lower. And you, you kind of have this wave that moves up and down as the economy moves up and down. So as we purchase A and B class assets, heck, we purchase C assets and turn them into Bs when we renovate them. So uh, it's, it's really stable throughout. Yeah, people always need a place to live. And I think that the key to that too is, a small investor might get him or herself over leveraged and they have to try to keep rents high because they can't make their numbers and stuff. But if you've got, a, you know, you're not trying to make your whole living from six units, right? Correct. you yes. can absorb a vacancy, you know, you can keep things nicer and fix them up. And, you know, we're not going to put the 25th coat of paint on those cabinets just to like, try to get somebody in there. Right. I mean, it's just, it's a whole nother, a whole other mindset, you know? Uh, yeah, you hit a great point. If uh, we have a hundred unit apartment and one person moves out, we are at 99% occupancy. <laughs> exactly. um, single family home, that one person moves out. And if it takes you a month to turn it and find someone, it, I mean, you're down a whole month and it might take you a year just to, to break even. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, and, and if you can't, afford to lower your rent you know like we, we i mean i started off my real estate career in rentals and you'd be talking to an to an owner and i'd be like you know someone wants to offer you 75 dollars less a month for the apartment oh no i can't do that i'm thinking to myself if you're vacant for one month 
it's going to take you 10 months just to make up that 75 bucks that, you know what I mean? I was like, it makes no sense to me. It just makes no sense to me, but you know, whatever. Yeah. When you have a lot of apartments, you have a lot more liberty to play with it and push the rents. Yeah. Um, Actually, to give you an example, so I keep going 100 units. We bought 104 units in Augusta, Georgia in February, closed on it. Um, Within three months, we are now at year four pro forma target rents. (laughs) Like, as I said, in the underwriting, we plan out five years on this pro forma. And I think in the first month, we said, hey, let's try year three. Just try it. Because we can handle that, that one unit that's not filled for right. a little bit right. sure enough actually i think that was a renewal someone renewed at year three and so then we're like well that worked let's try year four now we have a whole bunch at year four and we just barely got started renovating so i mean we are already exceedingly outperforming on the rents and we're only three to four months in so first let's talk about like your whole mental process how was it for you like how did you go kind of mentally or how did you learn or whatever like to go from you know doing a, a flip on a re you know a burr on a two-unit building to all of a sudden oh I just bought 104 units not even in my time zone okay I mean how did you <laughs> go there so I think people are saying like uh, he lives in Colorado and he just bought a place in Georgia I mean that I would be afraid I wouldn't have you know yeah. did you personally walk through every unit right I mean how how do people get to this place where you know, they can grasp yeah. this it's funny because I my duplex was actually in Milwaukee, so that was also a remote <laughs> thing. Um, to be honest, it, everyone learns differently, and I got into it through podcasts because every night I would walk my dog and I would digest. It was Bigger Pockets was the first thing I did, and that's kind of where I said, "All right." Uh, I mean, I, it must have been uh, six months before I took action because just inherently, I feel like I need to understand every little piece. You're and I guess when you're, Give yourself yeah, some slack, man. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Um, but once I pivoted and once again, syndications, I digested probably for another six months of podcasts. And then I finally took action and bought into a program. There's a lot of programs out there. If you're really looking to be a GP, there's people that offer education, there's boot camps. there's online courses, webinars, however you want to digest. There's books, there's so many books. Yeah. Um, choose your path. But when it comes to wanting to be a general partner, the active investor like myself, you don't need to understand every little bit. I think it's good to know from a high level, really the whole process, but you can digest that in a very short amount of time. You need to choose because it's a partnership. It is a team sport, right? And and that's actually part of the fun. That's why it's way more fun than doing a duplex by myself. (laughs) Because (laughs) everyone in this industry that I partner with are incredible people that are just super driven and very positive. And it's just, it just gives me energy. So choose what you think you would like to do. Like if you're great at spreadsheets and math, become an underwriter, dive into that, but take action immediately, right? You don't need to wait six months or then nine months. And I mean, by the time my first deal happened, it was way down the road. I could have taken action so much sooner had I dialed myself into one thing and started doing partnerships. And to be honest, the next, once you educate yourself to a a given level, go to conferences. There's like a hundred conferences a year 
on multifamily syndications or just syndicating in general. Go there, network with people, learn. That's where the relationships are built. And then um, it's amazing. It's serendipity takes place. The puzzle pieces start falling together, and next thing you know, you have you get invited on to help uh, with the next hundred unit, two hundred unit apartment complex. And I think a big part of this, right, is is the trust factor. Yeah, absolutely. the people who you're working with that you just you know you don't need to know every little thing that they're that they're doing because you trust that they know what they're doing. Yeah, and to be honest, I I ended up the the first people that I partnered with, I watched them for a year and I, I had actually talked to them like the year before. I was like, Hey, you guys seem cool. And then I kind of watched them and I wish I had invested with them because one of the units, rather than that five-year plan, they met that mark in 18 months, doubled the money in 18 months. Their rate of return was 125% or something like that. Um, I'm just like, uh, I, I mean, I'm honored that they invited me on to work with them, but I'm kicking myself because they were delivering unit after unit after unit as I was just watching them from afar before I joined in. <laughs> but it's okay. Yeah, it's totally cool. Home, you know, you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what kinds of things do you, what do you get questions from people who are just starting this, like trying to understand it all? Any questions that you can think of that come up a lot that we haven't already talked about? I think from a, from a passive investor standpoint, you hit all of the main points. It's just really understanding what, is, what the heck do we do at the high level? Yeah. Um, a lot of times we'll get questions on lending, right? As, as the interest rates go up. And, and really the, the simple answer is we, we target a given return and we underwrite to it. Um, what most people don't know behind the scenes is on average, we will underwrite a hundred properties before that one property lands in our lap or a hundred properties, maybe 15 of those will be worth putting a, an offer in on, but then out of those 15, we will only get one offer accepted. So there is a ton of legwork behind the scenes. And actually, maybe that's where the fees come in. People like to ask, well, how do we make money? Well, one, we get 20 to 30% of the equity of the ownership. And two, there are fees. There's an acquisition fee, which is on the order of two to 3%. Um, it's because it takes up to 400 hours. This last, the 100 units in Augusta, there was 400 hours worth of effort just to make that deal happen. So we, we kind of want to get paid for all our work, right? <laughs> then there's asset management because we are constantly, there's a lot of work just to keep the thing running. We, we hire property managers. We make sure property managers are performing. We talk to them weekly. And then we have to talk to general contractors, right? We are doing all of that work. And so we, we collect uh, asset management fees throughout. Which is, I mean, if you've ever had to work with a general contractor, <laughs> you can't pay people enough. <laughs> yeah, It's easier yeah. when you have a nice big job like that, right? Trying to get somebody to come to your house is like a nightmare, but. <laughs> yes, it gets easier, yeah, because you have a lot more money and it's economies of scale and you can hopefully keep them focused. Exactly. That's their only job, 10 unit after 10 unit after 10 unit for the next yeah. 24 months. But uh, I mean, we still see the same pains, right? The cost of a two by four has gone up and right. So yeah. uh, 
we we plan for reserves we plan for rainy day we underwrite super conservative so we can brace ourselves for the worst because we know it's not if something's going to happen it's when yeah. and fires i mean the this partnership i was talking about they've had uh eight units catch on fire that are getting rebuilt insurance covers that which is cool the other cool part is insurance actually covers the loss in rent so investors are like uh, what fire uh, <laughs> uh, there's been a couple shootings so here's a crazy part yeah you go buy a class c property you renovate it into a class b you put a fence up around it gated access all of a sudden it becomes a secure gated community and you get a totally different clientele that's in there but no kidding, while they just acquired the place, they're putting a security system in right out of the gate, like in month one, a shooting happened. And that's happened twice to them, right? But the, the other fun part I should mention is we change communities. So the one example, I wish I was part of that part of the deal, but they actually had the chief of police call them up and say, hey, could you buy the next two or three apartment complexes? Because we have actually seen a noticeable decrease in the amount of crime since you've taken over that one property. So now, yeah, gated community, you put in a playground, you get a different clientele, families feel safe, the crime rate has dropped. Um, you've just made a positive impact on the community. And actually, we make positive impact on tenants. That's their home. Yeah. They like a nicer home. Right, so Exactly. And they're yeah. more likely to stay. And that's less exactly. work for you too, right? Exactly. Less vacancy, less work. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's so fulfilling, right? Because we get we get um, reviews from tenants that's, hey, thank you. I love, love what you did with the landscaping and the, the upgrading of something, right? And uh, yeah, it just makes us feel good. Nice. Awesome. Awesome. Flynn, I loved talking with you. This has been good. And I hope, I hope that y'all listeners found it um, helpful to kind of understand and unpack the whole concept of syndicates a little bit more than we did when we talked to Amy Silvis. But um, what else, Flint, what else, is there some question you wish I would have asked you? Is there something that's like on the tip of your tongue that you really want to talk about? And I had just haven't like, yeah, maybe. Um, so syndication isn't just multifamily buildings. Um, Self-storage is an exciting thing. Self-storage is actually outperformed multifamily. Yeah. Um, I will probably do one of those. We can syndicate those. We can syndicate a lot of things. There's people doing commercial office space. Yeah. Um, but what's, what's exciting one, we're doing the fun with the three properties. Uh, and then my next exciting thing is build to rent where we are doing new development communities, building, uh, these starter homes. We basically buy land and build a whole 140 starter homes for this particular plot of land. Wow. It is, as it said, build to rent. So we will have this thing that feels like a class A apartment complex with all the amenities, property management, clubhouse, but rather than apartments, it's single family homes. So all of those younger millennials or zennials looking to start families, get out of apartments and have a single family home, but can't afford, right? This all... Or I mean, don't want, I mean, there is a, there is a whole mindset of people who just, I don't want to be tied down. I don't want to buy anything. I just want to continue to rent. Absolutely. So mm -hmm. we are uh, getting started on that this year and we should be cutting ground hopefully in the fall. Um, the return profile is way different. It's like a 24 month return profile versus the five years. And the other exciting thing is 
because the supply problem in the US is so far behind the demand, they're saying it'll take almost 10 years to get the supply back to meet the demand. So we're just kind of helping that out by building 100 units there, 200 units. So <laughs> I, I'm just so excited. It's just a new project and then we can syndicate it as well. We can bring investors along for the ride. Awesome. Awesome. So what if somebody wanted to get involved in being part of a syndicate, not like to do any work, but just to be a passive investor? Be the passive investor. Yeah. The limited partner. Um, contact us really. That's that's the first step is, um, I mean, vestascapital.com. You can see, uh, join the investor club. All of us syndicators have clubs or, yeah, I guess we all call them clubs, but it's really... <laughs> get in you you need to be in our database we are totally driven by the sec we are protected the lps are protected by the, the securities and exchange commission all of our documents are are written by an sec attorney right we follow the law and to follow the law we need to make sure um, as investors get in we build a relationship with them so um, yeah the first step is sign up on the investor portal and then get on a call with us and we'll talk with you because not everyone's fit for this type of investment. But uh, uh, the other thing is typically our, our minimums are $50,000. Yeah, and that's very reasonable. <laughs> yeah. So I, I have, you know, $452 and 75 cents and I'd like to get involved in your syndicate. Like, okay, yeah. we just need a million people like you and we'll be in good shape. <laughs> right, no, yeah. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, if, if you don't have $50,000, but you want real estate, there's always the, the REITs. You can go into Fidelity and get into a real estate investment trust. Um, but, but look around, you right? You don't have to have it in your checking account. Exactly. Like you were saying earlier, Flint, you know, look in your 401k, look in your IRA. You know, is there a way yeah. that you can leverage that money to make an actual return instead of whatever you're making it with your little, you know, what, or, yeah, what you have in your company stock portfolio or whatever. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people just have $50,000 in some stock or mutual fund that they can extract and put somewhere else. Yeah. And I, real estate compared to a mutual fund. I mean, there's just really no comparison. Yes, exactly. <laughs> there's tax benefits. It's like you actually own the property, but you're not doing any work. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, cool. Well, Flint, thank you so much for being with us today. We really appreciate it. Thank you, listener, for listening. Um, I know you got something, some, some wheels are turning from listening to Flint. So why don't you share this episode with a friend and maybe you can invest together and get your whole like financial freedom hat on and figure out how you can like cut the ties to your employer. Yeah. Get out of the rat race. Exactly. Get out of the rat race. Awesome. All right. And thanks for being. We'll see you next week. <laughs>